Hi, I'm Charles Feldman. And my name is Ela Edgar. And we're extra excited today because we have our very first guest on our podcast. Charles, who's with us today? We have Amanda Blake, who is a world-renowned master somatic or body-centered leadership coach. She has a degree in human biology from Stanford University, but I think that was just the start for her. She currently coaches leaders and teaches coaches all over the world using her knowledge of the art and science of embodiment. She's also the author of one of my favorite books, Your Body is Your Brain, Leveraging Your Somatic Intelligence to Find Purpose, Build Resilience, Deepen Relationships, and Lead More Powerfully. I first got to know Mandy when we were both on faculty for a training program on team coaching. Working with her as we designed and delivered parts of the training, I got to see firsthand how her focus on somatic coaching allowed her to help people make deep changes quickly. After the program was over, I emailed Mandy to ask if she'd set up a Zoom call with me so we could get to know each other a little better and learn more about what we each did. I was a little nervous because, you know, I mean, somebody at the level that Mandy's at in the world was like, okay, but I'm going to throw it out there. And I was absolutely delighted when she wrote back to say she'd be happy to. Since then, we've had a few Zoom chats, and every time I found myself like scribbling notes about ideas and connections that were firing off in my mind as we talked about different ways to approach my own coaching, not to mention new perspectives on my own life. So in this episode of Trust on Purpose, we will be asking Amanda, Mandy, as we know her, to bring her deep understanding of how our bodies affect our thoughts and emotions, and vice versa, when it comes to trusting and being trustworthy. This is the side of Mandy that probably not a lot of people have seen who don't know her directly, but she's into swing dancing with her sweetie, of course, country songs, backcountry skiing in the Sierras. She's been an international athlete competing on an international stage. So she really kind of gets high performance in herself. So in addition to being this master somatic leadership coach, she is one of the more well-rounded human beings that I know, along with my partner here in the podcast series, Ela Edgar. So let's just jump in here with, oh, let me just ask Mandy, anything that I missed, anything that you think people should or would like to know about you? I have no idea. <laughs> but here's what I'll say. Charles, thank you. That was a truly lovely introduction. And it was actually fun to hear about you scribbling notes from our conversation, which I remember and which I also have done. Always rich and saying to my partner last night how much I was looking forward to talking to the two of you about topics that all of us are interested in, fascinated by, and Hopefully this conversation will be of service to others. Mm -hmm. Great. Eli, do you want to sort of get us started here? Yeah. When we first considered having you join us, Mandy, I mean, the, the list of topics and possibilities are endless as we think about trust and embodying trust. And we always have a conversation before the conversation. So our conversation before the recording today, we were really looking at what does it mean to trust your body? How do you trust your body? And how do we discern what our body is telling us? And I think Charles and I can both relate to this is 
many of our clients we see living in there. You can't see me because I'm on a podcast, but I am visualizing, I'm like putting a circle around my head and cutting myself off at the neck, right? That this lower part of our body is simply a vehicle that takes us from place A to place B. And that really our thoughts, our intellect, and everything that happens in our head is where we put value and importance. But we know that to be different. And so, Mandy, as I just kind of broached that subject initially, where does that make you want to go first? Where do you want to dive in? You know, what occurred to me is that we did talk a little bit about how to trust your body and that we wanted to bring some of that to listeners. And then it occurred to me in the conversation, before the conversation, what we didn't address, but what I think would be really useful to address for listeners is why. Like, why to learn to trust your body? Because it's not a given, right? And I think you're right that kind of our default is to treat our body as a vehicle or sometimes as an athletic machine or as like a medical pile of parts to go be fixed and tuned by the doctor or whatever, right? Oftentimes, the way we relate to ourselves as physical beings is fairly disconnected. And why should that matter? Mm -hmm. And especially like, why should that make a difference, particularly in workplace situations? Because maybe you could see how that might make a difference in your personal life or in your home life. But why pay attention to your body at work? So I think if it's okay by the two of you, I'd like to just talk about, riff about that a little bit. One of the things that research has shown is that as we cultivate embodied self-awareness, in other words, our capacity to know our own sensations and discern what they're telling us, a whole host of benefits are derived from that. One of the reasons that embodied self-awareness as you grow it develops these benefits is because it's part of like a keystone that goes along with emotional self-awareness that amps up a number of other qualities. So when you have emotional self-awareness, which you develop by learning more about your embodied reactions, you start to dial up all of the elements of emotional and social intelligence, which are totally critical to workplace performance and life satisfaction. And those things have been shown to distinguish outstanding leaders from average leaders. So these are things like the capacity to empathize with others. There are things like the capacity to adapt and be resilient in the face of change. There are things like the capacity to be self-motivated or to motivate others. It sounds a little weird, right? Like why would there be a tie between paying attention to your own sensations, maybe the position of your body in space, and all these other things that can help you not only in the workplace, but also in your personal life as well. Part of the way we can explain that tie is that we are unified beings. We are not simply intellectual beings or emotional beings or embodied beings. These are kind of categories that we put on ourselves to try and understand ourselves better. But in everyday lived experience, we experience ourselves, we experience our lives in a very whole integrated way that includes all of us. It's not something that we have the capacity to turn off. It's actually, I think as we'll explore during this conversation, our embodied intelligence is actually provides us with a huge amount of valuable information that we commonly overlook. And 
there are many benefits. We'll continue to talk about them as we go on. But that paints sort of an initial picture. Like, why would we even pay attention to this? Thank you. That's great. I love it. One of the first things that came to mind was a client that I have been working with a bit for the past couple of months anyway. Let me just cut to the chase here. He's having difficulty sort of closing conversations and getting the person he's talking with to actually sign a contract and work with him. Hmm. So as he asked him about what's going on with his body, and we did a little, because we can use Zoom, we can see each other, I can see what's going on, and asked him to walk through the kind of conversation he has. He could sort of see the shape, I could see the shape, and then we could play it back for him, of his body. And it was a lot about what his body was feeding back to him emotionally and mentally. The way his body was shaped, as he could begin to notice himself, was feeding back collapse. So that was a real eye-opener for him. He'd never really thought about his body being anything. He thought about it in terms of what he might be saying to, you know, showing to someone else. So he would do his best to kind of try and pull it out. But the feedback loop is what I think you're talking about, where it was feeding back into the rest of the system, if you will, a particular message that he was completely unaware of. Yeah. So there's two things going on here that I see. One is, and what I would just Im maybe invite both of you to do, invite listeners to do, like try this little mini contrived experiment with me. So you said collapse. So just sit or stand in a little bit of a collapsed manner, like let your, meh, like your head go. You're both sitting with your head kind of forward, right? Spine is kind of curved. And, and I really encourage listeners to try this too. And for the two of you here, just say, Say out loud, I'm having a great day. <laughs> I'm having a great day. <laughs> it's really hard to say. It's really hard. I'm having a great day. It's funny to watch you guys. <laughs> I can only say it with a sense of irony. Right? Exactly. Yeah. It's uh, that irony. We can come back to that, but there's an incongruence there. Your body's saying one thing, your words are saying something else. So if you just lengthen your spine. Let your spine be kind of its natural height. So you're not reaching for anything, but you're also, you're no longer in that collapsed position. You're just upright. And take a breath and you might notice that you can actually breathe a little more deeply into your lungs in this position. Then say out loud, I'm having a great day. I am having a great day, actually. <laughs> I too am having a great day. And just even as like, I could feel everything even in my face, not only how my body, but like my face feels lighter. The yeah. smile came faster and easier. Right. And it wasn't an ironic smile. Yeah. Not this time. Right. Here's the point of sharing this with you is we do have this feedback loop built into our bodies. And it makes sense. Our brain is monitoring what's going on all the way out to our fingers and toes. At all times, it happens outside of our conscious awareness because it's a part of life that we can put on autopilot. We sure can't put other people on autopilot much as we would sometimes like to. <laughs> but what happens inside our own skin, as much as possible for kind of reasons of biological efficiency, a lot of this stuff happens underneath our conscious awareness. But nevertheless, just this simple thing, if you're sitting in a collapsed way or you're sitting upright or standing in a collapsed way, standing upright, it will actually feed back information to your brain on a bunch of complex neural pathways telling you, you feel 
bummed or psyched. This is something that actors and artists know. So if you think about a painting, a sculpture, an actor in a film, a lot of the way that emotion gets conveyed is through the position of the body in space. Scientists call that our own knowing of that, proprioception. It's a perception channel that we have. We have several. And proprioception is our capacity to sense the position of our body in space, which we are doing on an unconscious level all the time. And while we do that, we send feedback to our own brain about our mood. Our mood then gets affected and subsequently affects our actions. Simultaneously, we are conveying something to others. Even in, you know, you may be on Zoom or you may be in person, but even in this era where we might be just talking on the phone and not have visual input, our vocal tone changes. And anyone can rewind the recording and listen to how each of you sounded when you said, I'm having a great day, depending on the position of your body in space. So we will communicate sort of on all channels. We will emanate a sense of either uprightness or collapsedness. Perhaps in the case of your client, Charles, confidence in ourselves that would help us close the deal or an uncertainty or maybe an incongruence mm -hmm. where I'm saying I can get the job done for you, but there's just something that the other person is picking up on, probably can't name it. And we can talk about neurobiologically how this happens. So they may not be able to say why, but there's something that's making them go, yeah, I feel a little uneasy here. I'm not ready to close this deal. Yeah. And in bringing this into the realm of self-trust, which is what we were talking about before the conversation, the questions we were asking is, how do you trust yourself? What does that mean to trust yourself? Trust your body in particular? What makes it challenging? We've been kind of both pointing to one thing, which is we don't even pay attention to that channel very often. Yeah. Unless it's overwhelming, unless there's actual physical pain. Yeah. But how do we begin to do that? You know, it's interesting because I think there's, as you're saying this, Charles, I'm thinking about self-trust in a couple different ways. So there's self-trust in the domains that you lay out in your model of trust, right? Do I trust myself to care? Do I trust that I have competence to deliver? And is that rooted in something like experience and mm -hmm. actual competence? Am I being sincere here? <laughs> so there's that kind of self-trust. There's also, can I trust my body? Can I trust the signals I'm getting from my body? And for many of us, that's very difficult to do for very good reason. A lot can interrupt our trust of our own body, starting with the fact that most of us were never taught that that was even okay. And if anything, we might have been taught that it's not okay at all. Or we might have learned through our own life experience, maybe through injury or illness or some form of interpersonal or psychological trauma. We may have learned like my body is not trustworthy in a sort of globalized way. And so the fact that we don't look there, we haven't been taught how to look there. We don't necessarily know what we're seeing when we look there. That can make it really hard to trust our own sensations, our own physical responses. But then there are also these kind of interfering life experiences that might actually teach us things that 
aren't necessarily true. So just the same way you could learn math wrong, something that I'm really good at is getting it wrong with math, right? Like, (laughs) and you can make mistakes in math, right? And you can say, oh, oh, six plus three, that's 12, right? Because those go into 12. And isn't that? No, of course not, right? But you can make mistakes in math. You can make mistakes in grammar. You can, in the world of information, learn things incorrectly. The same way your body can wire in lessons about life that may not be accurate. So an example of this, let me give you an abstract example and then a client example. And for some of you listening, this may not be abstract, right? Maybe growing up, you got laughed at a lot. It was really painful. And so what you learned was to kind of physically tighten up and contract and close it. Like you guys can't see us who are listening, but we're all kind of curling our shoulders in around our heart and gut, kind of just like a self-protective move. Let's say that that made you in your life now as an adult, hypersensitive to other people's laughter, especially if it's maybe happening in a corner of the room, like maybe they're laughing at me. Now, that may not be true at all. Mm -hmm. Maybe this was true at some point in your life and you've carried it forward in a physical felt sense way. It's not even something that you think about anymore but you've carried it forward in a physical felt sense way so that when someone's laughing in the corner of the room or a group of people burst into laughter and you're not in on the joke, all of a sudden your body's curling in on itself. So our bodies can learn things that either are useful at one time and outlive their usefulness, or they can learn things that are just outright wrong. And I'm thinking about a specific client that I worked with who had always worked behind the scenes she was really good with what she did. She'd always worked behind the scenes, but she moved into a new job at a major philanthropic organization where she needed to present her ideas in a much more, partly it was the culture and partly it was her role, in a much more forceful and visible way than she ever had been required to do before in her work. So it was her job to put forth program ideas for this philanthropic organization and to argue for funding for certain kinds of ideas. It really required her to be visible and visible in a way that had her working regularly with people whose names every listener to this podcast would know, world famous people. So she felt very afraid, intimidated. And had a lot of discomfort in her body when she had to stand up and talk about her ideas. Her heart would get fluttery. She would start to close in on herself, get tight, curl around her visceral organs. And what we worked on together was helping her experience a memory of a place where she felt wide open and expansive. And for her to protect her privacy, I won't say specifically, but it was a specific wide open, expansive landscape that she had once visited where she felt physically just a sense of openness. So she put a picture of this landscape on her desk, maybe on her screensaver, I don't remember. And she practiced experiencing herself in this very wide open, expansive way. And the more she did that, gradually, the more comfortable it became 
never totally entirely comfortable in the time that we were working together, maybe more so now, but gradually became more and more comfortable with showing up and advocating for her program ideas with these mucky mm. mucks that she felt kind of intimidated by. Yeah. What I'm hearing in that in part is that the body, our bodies can get miswired or it's not even miswired. They're wired over time through our experience and interaction with the world to be a certain way, to react a certain way and to feel a certain way. But I also know that we can, with some intention, rewire them. And this particular story actually brings up something else I want to talk about, which is imposter syndrome. But I think we should wrap this episode up here. This has been a great discussion with Amanda. She's shown us how important our body's experience is to who and how we trust and how we show up as trustworthy or not. So let's start our next episode, part two of our conversation with Amanda, with the topic of imposter syndrome. Amanda, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a wonderful and interesting conversation today. I really look forward to part two. On behalf of both Charles and myself, we want to say a big thank you to our producer and sound editor, Chad Penner, Hillary Rideout of Inside Out Branding, who does our promotion, our amazing graphics, and marketing for us. And our theme music was composed by Jonas Smith. If you have any questions or comments for us about the podcast, if you have a trust-related situation that you'd like us to take up in one of our episodes, we'd love to hear from you at trust at trustonpurpose.org. And we'd also like to thank you, our listeners. Take care and keep building trust on purpose. Until next time. Until next time.